waking up and thinking, far out, why me? I tell you, there's so much more to be thankful for. Why don't you take your seats, give a smile. Come on, you're allowed to smile in church. Thanks, team. I think um, all of us would have heard the mantra or the saying or the, this phrase, um, why do... Uh, and it's happened, it happens I mean, probably around the world every day if you look at the news reports and the things that happen in this world on a daily basis, you could probably be justified in saying this statement, why do bad things happen to, to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm not here necessarily to answer that question, but I do want to just reflect on um, something that would come out of that question, and I want to share with you. If there's ever a person in the Old Testament, in, just in the Bible, that you could, you could say probably could state that statement time and time again and be justified in saying it, it would be a young man in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And uh, it's, it's right at the start of the very first book of the Bible. In actual fact, his life story is told from chapters 37 verse through to chapters 50 of Genesis. And, um, and uh, he was only probably around 16 to 17 when the first incident happened that he could have said, why, did this, why does it, is it happening to me? Uh, and his name, his name is Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a name that some of us, you know, the uh, young man, we all think of sometimes the young man with the coat of many colors, favored by his dad. But you know, there's also an incredible story behind, because after that coat of many colors, life just seemed to get worse, go downhill. And if you look at Joseph's story, it's probably one of the, the, the stories we see his life from about those teenage years right through to his death, covered in 13 chapters. And, you know, and it's not many of the characters in the Bible that we get an insight into someone's life in such detail, but in this man's life, we certainly do. And then there's this one obscure um, set a couple of verses about him that's in Psalm 105. If you have your Bible, please turn there. Psalm 105, verse 17 to 19. Grab it on your phone, wherever. But it just talks about Joseph. And, um, and it talks it here uh, in Psalm 105. I have it on the, on the screens, but please look at your own Bible. All the other verses, you'll have to read them with me out of your Bible this morning. But I just wanted to highlight this one. It's, it almost, it's, it's tucked there in there in Psalm 105. Um, these verses about Joseph, it says, um, he, he meaning God, God, God sent a man before him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Where did he send him? If you know, and we'll look at the story, but the story he sent him to Egypt, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. In verse 19, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That's what it says about him. This young man, Joseph. You see, Joseph started out life with the great dream. And I don't think he necessarily lost it, but he was, he was thinking really big things. He was thinking of what would, would be accomplished, what he could accomplish in his life, and what he could do for the good of uh, all mankind. And, but you know, what happened was, uh, of course, it didn't turn out that way. He's ever had a dream or a passion or desire, and it just seems to go through some bumpy times in life before it's ever fulfilled. And, and you know, that can, there can be a purpose behind all of that if you'll just uh, listen in this morning. So Joseph had a dream, but things didn't go good for him. He was hated by his 10 older brothers, as you know. Let me give you a 30-second snapshot of his life. Hated by his older brothers. 
His, his, some of his brothers hated him so much they wanted him dead, threw him down a well one day when his father wasn't watching, um, and they didn't kill him at that time, but they wanted, some of them wanted to. They uh, sold him into slavery. Uh, it wasn't a good thing to happen for Joseph. He was taken by some slave traders into Egypt, and he ended up in the in a, um, a house of a man called Potiphar, who was kind of like one of the rulers in Pharaoh's kingdom. Um, and of course, there in Potiphar's house, he was a slave. But things did look a little bit up in that time in that um, Joseph showed himself to be a young man of good reputation and of integrity, and Potiphar trusted him and put him second in charge of the house. And Potiphar's house, while Joseph was there as his second to I see, Potiphar's house flourished. Unfortunately, Potiphar had a lady um, called his wife, and uh, it, wasn't any, it was his wife, and uh, she was nowhere near as integral as Joseph, and she blamed and accused Joseph of rape, falsely accused him. Potiphar had no real choice but to throw him into prison, an Egyptian prison, and there he sat for many, many years, falsely accused. But things looked, even though things went down, things were up a little bit in the prison because he, he once again proved his. Is good, of a good reputation and a good quality and integrity, as you know the story. And, and, the, and the prisoner, the, the, the person who looked after the whole prison, put him in second in charge of the whole prison. And the prison basically flourished while Joseph was there in charge. It seems to be Joseph was always destined to be the 2IC, but, you know, that was fine. And then eventually one day, Pharaoh himself, the, the man who looked after a massive empire, um, was looking for someone to interpret his dreams. They told them, him about Joseph had this ability to interpret dreams, was given by God. Joseph ends up in, in the presence of Pharaoh, interprets the dreams, and to cut a long story short, uh, Pharaoh finally elevates Joseph to once again second in charge of all of Egypt. And while he was in charge, this nation of Egypt, this heathen nation that didn't even believe in God and worshipped foreign gods, actually flourished. Even in the midst of a severe famine. That's an incredible thing. And it, was, and, and it was greatly enlarged part due to the fact that Joseph had a, um, some incredible qualities and management skills and ability. And let's not forget the greatest uh, attribute that he had, that he was a believer in God and trusted God. And God incredibly uh, um, uh, equipped him to do what he was equipped to do. And so we see, it's interesting, that while bad things happened to him, um, He's falsely accused of rape, falsely thrown in prison, all the things that happened to him. Joseph, every right to ask the question on many occasions, why do bad things keep happening to me? But I'd like to ask another question this morning because I think it's a far better question. In actual fact, I think once you've maybe got over the, the shock of what may happen sometimes and, and, and that question may come up, why is this happening? I think there's a far better question. Not only do bad things need to happen, why do bad things happen to me, but why, why, why is it happen that good people happen to bad things? It's a better question. Why not have good people happen to bad things? And I think if you look at Joseph's life, I think in his heart he may never have proclaimed that. But the reality was, I think he was a good man that happened to bad things. And when he was the good man who happened to bad things, I tell you, it's interesting because those bad things didn't seem so, so bad. So here what's happened, Joseph was placed in the midst of a slave house, but the slave house didn't happen to Joseph. Joseph happened to the slave house. Is a difference. Joseph was put in prison, but the prison didn't happen to Joseph. Joseph happened to the prison. You see, 
Joseph was put in a heathen nation called Egypt and worshipped foreign gods. But Egypt didn't happen to Joseph. Joseph happened to Egypt. Joseph literally changed the culture wherever he went. He changed the culture of the atmosphere and the places he went. He was in a minority, but in actual fact, he was the majority because he had a God that supported him, encouraged him, and blessed him, and used him, and ministered through him. I think that's powerful. I think we've been called to do that. And that sometimes we've got to get away from the question, why do bad things happen to me? And say, I'm a good person. Why don't I happen to those bad things? Why don't I happen to those bad things? He didn't deserve to be enslaved. He didn't deserve to be falsely accused. He was mistreated. We call it, you know what we call all those things that happened to Joseph? And it's, it's correct terminology. It's victimization. He was victimized. He didn't deserve it, but he was victimized. But it says in this verse that though they laid him in though his, he was, um, his feet were in fetters, he was laid in irons. The word in Hebrew and laid in irons literally means this. It means this, that God put iron into his soul. If you were to interpret that truth. In other words, God put something in Joseph's heart that said, though I'm going through bad things, I am going to see uh, the incredible good in all of this and what God can do. And I'm going to, and because of that, uh, let me see if I can change the very culture and nature of the places that I live in. He didn't deserve anything of what he faced. It's interesting. Though Joseph was victimized, something was established in his heart for good. An iron came into his heart, a strength, a quality of character. A young man who rose up in the midst of trouble, heartache and victimization. And he said, he might have initially said, how did this happen? But in the end, uh, he said, well, it's happened and I'm going to make the best of it, and the most of it. And what happened while Joseph was victimized over and over and over again is he never allowed himself to become a victim. There's a difference, understandably, between being victimized and actually bowing to that and becoming a victim. There's a difference. There's a, compl there's a complete difference. The world will victimize you. you, you actual fact, you can't help, my, and sometimes on a daily basis, um, somewhere, somehow, some way, the world can cut off in traffic. Whatever it is, you get, there's a, you might think victimize is a pretty heavy word for just things that happen on a daily basis, but that's what happens. We face realities of being, in actual fact, you can be accidentally victimized sometimes, or you can be deliberately victimized. It, it can happen, uh, uh, I think every one of us would have our stories, wouldn't we? Of when things happen that, that and then please understand me, I'm not saying you're a victim. I'm just saying the world victimizes us. Okay, I'm not saying you're a victim. Just the reality is things, bad things happen to good people. That's what happens. I, I, you know, I want to share a story. I accidentally victimized a lady once. Now, that sounds really bad, but let me share the story. Um, I didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident. And uh, to throw it, uh, really to make it look really bad, she was disabled. And uh, I drove one morning, uh, I was driving into town, I had to go to the bank, uh, and so I parked behind Gundoon Street, and as I parked there, I was just getting my stuff together, and this knock on the window of my car came, and, and I looked at this lady, and I kind of um, wound down the window, uh, and straight away, she raised her voice and started to uh, give me a mouthful of information, and I, I wasn't quite sure how to take it at first, I was... Uh, I'm sorry. And what she was saying to me was, you're parking in my car park. I said, oh, really? Why is it that? 
and she's, and you know, and it, it wasn't as nice as conversation. I, I was trying to be nice, to be honest. But her, her words were me is, I'm a disabled person. I said, oh, really? So I started to empathize with her. She started to soften her tone a little bit. She was a lady on a walking stick that had obviously a, a disability as she walked and was permanent. It couldn't, you know, be fixed apparently. And, and I said, oh, really? And then she said, this is a disabled car park. I said, is it? I looked down. And I realized that this car park was located under a tree and all the leaves had fallen on the car, the car park space, you know, hiding the disabled sign. You, you with me? You know what I'm talking about? So I didn't see that. And in my thinking of what I got to do, I just parked in there. I didn't realize it was even a bit wider than the others, you know. And so I parked it there and, and she gave me the full blast of her thoughts about me. And then as I let her talk, I, I kind of drew it out of her. I said, oh, really? So has this happened before? Man, don't ask that question to a lady who's angry. She said, everybody treats me the same. I've parked here and they put little notes on my windscreen and say, you're not really disabled. You've got no wheelchair. But you know, I could see that she was clearly disabled because she walked with a fairly major limp. And you know, I kind of emphasize with her. I, I think I, you know, the Bible says, you know, give a soft answer to a harsh word. And uh, I think we've done okay. And, and then I explained to her, you know what's happened? She says, I said, it's been covered. I've made a mistake here. Well, she didn't really want to hear that. <laughs> I said, you know what? How about I back out and you pull in? Because I'm really not hassled where I park. It's just that I've made a mistake and it's been genuine. She says, don't worry about it. And she walked off to her work. <laughs> I said, bless you. <laughs> I tried to bless her. So I got out of there and I parked somewhere else because it was a disabled car park. But you know what? I accidentally victimized her. You know, you can, be, you can be victimized deliberately sometimes. You, you know, some of us have been deliberately. You know, I remember one morning I woke up. I was living in Park Street at the time. I was single and uh, I walked downstairs. I worked at the power station. I, I opened my garage. It was two doors with, you know, it was an old kind of garage door, just two gates. And I walked in and, my, and I was about to jump on my push bike to ride to the power station to what I'd always done that uh, for many, many years. And I found that as I went to the push bike, it's... It's not there. Where is it? Did I, where did I put my push bike? And I, it didn't take too many seconds to realize that someone had that night had come under the gates of my garage and stolen my push bike. And it was my really precious push bike that I paid a little bit of money for and I was really excited. I'd kind of saved up for this push bike and, and that now it's gone. And I thought, you know what? That's a deliberate victimization. I didn't kind of put the push bike out in the front lawn and say, steal me, did I? I didn't say, take me, but it was, de you know, it was deliberate on their part. And so you know what, as I've been sharing those stories, you think of accidental times you've been victimized, and sometimes you've been deliberately victimized. We get victimized. You know what, it's interesting, Jesus actually said this, I've told you these things in John 16, 33. He says, I've told you some things, things so that you may have peace, because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Even though we find a world, uh, you know, struggling because of what happens to us, uh, I've got good news this morning. Jesus says, you know what? You're going to have trouble. So if you've got trouble, please don't feel special this morning. All of us face it. Okay? All of us have faced it. Just, you know what the credentials for having trouble in the world? Um, you know what Job said? Job said in, in five, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, he says, 
A person is born to trouble as sure as the sparks fly upwards. He says, here's the qualification to experience injustice in your life. Just get born. A person is born. (laughs) Um, Am I being totally negative? No, I'm just wanting to face the realities of we all understand. I'm just bringing to you something you already know. That whether accidentally or deliberately, sometimes coincidentally, sometimes you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time and trouble hits you. I remember coming around the corner of the church here about two weeks ago and a little fellow on a scooter just, just ran straight across my toes. Ah, thank you. <laughs> I didn't particularly get too hurt, but you know, it wasn't the most exciting thrill for me that day. It wasn't because he was a nasty little boy. It was just a coincidence I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. See, I think at those times, our reaction is paramount. What do, how do we react? In the times, because depending on how we, you know, we, we are victimized by the world, depending on what happens from that point depends whether we sometimes go on to a better attitude or we become a victim of those circumstances. The trouble with victimization is, is that it can happen more than once, the same thing. And you know what? It, then we've got to be careful it doesn't imprint on our conscience and it can damage and twist up our emotions and, 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 um, and the way you see things. That's what I've found in personally, uh, but in people's lives. And they've not maybe had the skills or understanding that you've got to shut that out from becoming because things may happen to you, but don't let it make you a victim of it. And some things happen more than once and happen over. And if that happens again and you're not saying, I... You know, I'm not dealing with it each time. It can imprint on your conscience. It can imprint on your life. I have, um, I've shared a little bit about this story before, but I've been victimized time and time again by a wonderful little native Australian bird. <laughs> called the magpie. Ever since I was old, ever since grade one, I lived in Gympie in those days, and I'd walk to school in grade one because those are the days when kids could walk to school as a six-year-old. And uh, I was only, you know, 500 metres away. And this magpie took great delight in terrorising my, not just my physical body, but my emotional life. More than once it hit me in the head. And uh, for all those years at that school, man, it terrorised me. Even to the point, even in my mid-30s, whenever I saw magpie in the months of September, October, November or even a bit earlier, my heart would stay, start to race. I'd start to be, get anxious. I'd start to have, break out in a little bit of a sweat. My breathing would increase. I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? It's just a little bird. I think, I've got to deal with this. I'm a grown, deal with this. I'm like 35 and still facing this anxiety over magpies. What is the story here? What's the problem? What the story was, folks, is I'd allow that little magpie to get so much into my subconscious every time I saw one in this period of time. I knew it was, not, it, it was outside of the season of, of mating and that was not a problem. But in those periods of time, I would I'd just become anxious. And I'm thinking, far out. Something so, so like that is actually, you know what? I, and I've actually, not now, but I've, if I'm walking or riding in those years, in my 20s and 30s, I, if I knew there was a magpie going to attack me, I'd actually divert my route, even kilometers, to get around that magpie. I'm thinking, that is affecting my life. 
Something has happened. I've now not gone just been victimized by the little fella. I am now a victim of him. He is, he is determining my lifestyle, changing the way I act and think and walk. And, you know, there's many a time in, in those periods of time, if you saw me um, and I was going through a magpie period, I'd be walking backwards. How ridiculous is that? I remember a time a magpie did attack me, and so I went with this crazy hand movements and carrying on. And as I run down the street, this lady from the veranda, I'm not quite sure what she was on, but she ridiculed me. She said, oh, you're crazy. It's only a magpie. I said, I, I, I didn't answer her. <laughs> I thought, I'll victimize her in a moment if I say anything. But, you know, here's the upside to this whole story is whenever I see a magpie, I place myself on full alert and I'm ready to deal with the attack. Here's the downside. When even the threat doesn't exist, for a season there, I was still having anxious thoughts and adjusting my life accordingly. That's the downside. I was adjusting my life. Do you know when you adjust your life, maybe you've got to consider, have I become more than just victimized? Have I become a victim? when you adjust how you talk, how you think, or maybe you deal with circumstances? Do I divert from seeing that person? Do I react? Um, do you know what, I've, since I found out about magpies, and now I've become so much more comfortable, I'm willing to still walk through magpie territory, I've discovered statistically only 10% of magpies will ever attack anybody in Australia. There you go. Only 10%. I, was t I, I, I listened to this ABC commentary from an expert the other day, and I thought, that's good. And I, and I felt a lot better. But information is powerful, isn't it? So only 10% of magpies. What he did say was once e one person every year in Australia has eye, loses an eyesight or, or loses, um, damages their eyesight. And I thought, that's not good information. <laughs> but I haven't gone back to that fearful. I don't divert my paths or roots anymore because of magpies. So I just want us to understand something that we've got to realize that we've got to be careful that sometimes gets so impregnated in our conscious that we've got to say, Father, does that need to be broken over my life? That I, Because victimization will happen. We all face it. We all do it accidentally sometimes, even to others. But victim, that's another story. We don't need to go down that path. What happens is that people can back away from stuff when they feel like they're a victim and they uh, when there's no threat at all, and they assume and presume stuff that's no longer there, or they sometimes draw conclusions from the past, which now taints the present, because nothing is really going to happen, but it, it, it seems like it does. And I'm talking to myself, folks, okay? This is something we, that, that God wants to set us free from, that we can sometimes make up the things because of the past. And it's no fault of your own necessarily. The only fault that we can make is sometimes we continually allow it to intrude on our conscience and our emotions when we need to say, no, I'm not going to let that stuff come and yield and determine my agenda in life. Um, and we can take up and we can adopt an offensive position. And now we're not just being victimized, but we're acting as a victim. And uh, unfortunately, the offensive position can sometimes mean that we're continually uh, trying to bring, we go into self-preservation mode. And you know, as I said last week, self-preservation turns into selfishness and, and gradually turns into self-deception and gradually turns into self-destruction. And that's not, power, that's not good for us. And God doesn't want that in our lives. He doesn't want it at all. Here's the problem. It, it does destroy our lives. And so Joseph shows us how not to be victims. 
Joseph, his example of his life. And I think the, for the 13 chapters that's recorded in the, at the back end of Genesis 37 to chapter 50, is a wonderful example of a young man that said, you know, it's not just that bad things happen to good people, that happens, but it's good people can happen to bad things. And we can turn this thing, whole thing around. And not only does Joseph show us how not to be victims, but Jesus tells us how not to become a victim. Can I just give you some thoughts on what Jesus says about uh, the victimization that we have all experienced throughout this, our lives and will continue, unfortunately? Jesus says something really powerful in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 38 to 45. I'll read it in a moment. But he says, you know, while you may be victimized, victors don't seek revenge. Here's a good one. You say, oh, yeah, 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 we know that. We know that. But how often do we apply it? See, Joseph never sought to get back at his brothers who put him into slavery. In actual fact, even when Joseph's brothers came into Egypt looking for food, they didn't recognize Joseph, but he recognized them. He had every right to do away with them. He was second in command of all of Egypt. No one would have even batted an eyelid if he executed all these guys. No one would have asked questions. He could have retaliated. He could have got revenge. He had every opportunity to. They, they almost wanted him dead. Well, they did want him dead, some of his brothers, and yet he survived. And here's the opportunity now. And, you know, you can look at those moments of revenge as God has given me an opportunity to get back at them. No, folks, never allow that thought to invade your heart because the truth is God says, vengeance is mine and not yours. So Joseph, in actual fact, didn't take up a vengeance. And you know, it's so easy. Um, you, know, you know Matthew 5, what we'll read here. Let me read it. It says in Matthew 5 what Jesus says. 38 to 45. You have heard that it was said, Jesus, is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him as also. If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic or your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. That passage of scripture has become so foreign in Australian culture, it's really sad. Because we have a legal system that thrives on revenge. Because the, the money that's gained from people suing each other in legal fees is, her, is incredible money. Incredible money. All in the name of, I've got to get back. Or I've got to, what is rightfully mine. What's rightfully, I need to get back at them. Do you know there's a lady in America? There, there's oodles of, of, of legal um, illustrations. But a lady in America sued McDonald's because she bought a hot cup of coffee and spilled it on the floor and fell over and fractured her leg. She sued McDonald's and was successful. I think that's sad. Crazy, isn't it? Do you know there's a man in America who was driving his, um, his Winnebago down the road. He put it in. This is, this is ridiculous. He put it in, um, he put it in um, cruise control, went back into the vehicle to do something in the, the sec, kitchen section of the Winnebago, and then... The, and then because the, the Winnebago ran into a pole, he sued the company for not giving him more instructions on how the cruise control worked. Praise God, they threw it out of court. <laughs> Folks, we live on an atmosphere. You know what's sad is when our governments 
opposition, and not picking on anybody, opposition and present government seem to take the knife and dig it into the opposition as soon as the opposition make a little mistake, trying to make it then, the, whoever it is, the opposition or whatever government it may be, look bad in the eyes of the public. And I think that's just a sad reflection on our leadership of our country. Folks, we've got to, we've got to learn something that Jesus said. He said, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. Jesus said, here's how victors react when victimized. They don't strike back. They don't counter-sue. And even though the world may call it weak, it's not weak. It's not weak at all. It can be great strength. Jesus is actually, what Jesus is actually saying is teaching us how to take control of your life by changing how you think about your victimization. Change how you think about it. You see, victims, when someone slaps them, wants to slap back. When someone takes their shirt, steals something, wants to steal from them. Uh, when they ask you to walk a mile, you say, that's enough. I've had enough of you pushing me around. I'm going to, you know, I, you know um, what happens is, is, is those who are victors, which is a completely different word to victims, victors say, hey, you want to turn the other cheek? I'll just turn the other cheek. Hey, take my coat because they're a set. Shirt, got to go with the coat. Have them both. Um, You know, oh, I've walked a mile carrying a bag. I tell you what, I'll do it too. Do you know what happens, what Jesus is really saying here? You know what he's saying? He's saying take control of your life by not giving control to the other person. This is what he's saying. So often you offer your coat as well and you're taking control because they can't take from you what you freely give. And you say, I'm not getting this. Come on. Jesus isn't trying to excuse abuse. He's describing the mentality that changing a person from a victim to a victor. Changing him, it's a mentality. We mightn't literally be able to do, give, a, you know, give more items. We mightn't literally you know, say, oh, well, you know, because if someone knocks me out, folks, I'm not going to get up and say, do it again, mate. No, what we're doing is talking about a mentality of how you deal with that. Turn the other cheek has now become a walk away. A victor is the kind of person who doesn't let others dictate terms and thus doesn't become the victim. Because the victim says, you just hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You just stole something, I'm going to make sure I steal from you. Folks, you take up the actual attitude of the person who victimized you. How can you ever change that? Someone's got to get off the merry-go-round. Why not be you and say, I'm not going to take revenge? Oh, you're just weak if you don't do that. No, no, no. Jesus is not, a, Jesus is not a, a denying that there needs to be justice. Or he's not denying the abuse. He's just, he's just saying, hey, your reaction be completely different to what the world describes or pre- prescribes. I don't want to live by their agenda. I want to live. This is another thing Jesus teaches us. He says, victors love their enemies. Whoa. Genesis 45.15 says, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers eventually. And you know when he revealed himself to them, he wept and he kissed and hugged his brothers. And you know what? In response, they did the same. Because they thought Joseph, if he ever had a... They thought that this Joseph, who was ruler, would have done away with them. But he didn't. He responded. And how he loved his brothers and his family again. I don't think he ever lost the love for them. I just think he didn't have a chance to show it. And finally, finally when they turn up in Egypt, he responds in such an incredible way. 
Jesus says in Matthew 43, 44, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus simply says, love them. And Jesus is saying to become a victor when people hurt us is, is to become not a victim, but a victor through actually loving them. And you say, well, just wait a second. How can I love them when they hurt me? Um, maybe you struggle with this because Jesus is not describing an emotional response, folks. He's describing an intentional decision on how you treat and deal with other people of virtue. An intentional decision. And just maybe, just maybe I kind of think when you start to pray for that person and bless that person, maybe the change happens that you're not just, um, you change from becoming the victim to the victor. When you start to pray and you say, well, you don't know what has happened to me. You're right. I don't. But then again, I don't know if any of us have faced death. And Jesus did. And he showed us an incredible way to live life. He actually hung on a cross and he says, Father, would you forgive them? Because they really don't know what they're doing. I think, Wow. You know, the wonderful thing about praying or just asking God's blessing on those who have hurt is this. Is that you actually start to be future-focused instead of past-focused. Because you start to pray, you start to ask, God, would you just bless them? Would you just bless these people that, that you know, have done this? Father, in actual fact, I, I don't feel it, but Father, I do. I just ask that, Father, you would put, you know, put your hand upon them and you know, if they've stolen from me and they haven't got a job, would you provide a job for them so they don't have to steal anymore? Whatever the issues. Who knows, if you could pray like that, you're no longer a victim. You start to become the victor. You start to turn things around. See, um, praying for your enemies, you're seeking a better future, and thus you're breaking the power of the past and its hold on you, and thus you move into the victory circle. And not the loser circle. You move into the victory circle. You know, at the end of those car races and there's a victory lap or there's a victory circle. I, I think that's a great place to be. So, you know, even, you know, I can, even when they steal your bike. You know, I always remember after I got off the initial shock and got off the, after those stupid questions like, why me? And I didn't deserve this. And I just I, I took it to prayer. You know, I started and I prayed for this person, whoever it was. I said, God, would you just bless them? And I prayed that prayer. I said, God, whatever the issues is with them, why are they to steal my bike, whether they haven't got enough money or what, would you just bless them? God, would you, would you so bless them that they'll be so convicted? No, I said, no, I won't pray that. Don't get avenged in your prayer. No, but God, just, just bless them. Because I don't want to, but I praise you and I ask you to do it. Now, I don't know. Do you know I got my bike back? Some of you heard this story. But I don't think it was, to be honest, anything to do with my prayer. But I, I tell you what, it was great what happened because I was driving into the valley it, it, just off Tank Street there into the shopping centre. And as I parked my car, this is one Saturday afternoon, I, just, I was just about to get out of the car and this young man on my push bike goes past in front of literally a metre from the nose of my car. He then goes and puts the bike two metres away from me and about to get off. I quickly go over to him. And if there was a revenge in my heart, or a, I probably would have been a little bit 
you know, not as nice, but I just said to him, hey, buddy, how you going? He goes, yeah, I'm okay. Who are you? And I said, I'm the guy who owns this bike. Can I have it back? That was my, my words. He said, have it? <laughs> I said, just wait a second. How are you going to get home? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I said, what's your name? He told me his name. He went home somehow, or went shopping and then went home. I took my bike and went home. In actual fact, I went to the police station and just shared the name with the police because, you know, I wanted this young guy to actually, you know, I didn't have any malice against him. I just, because he, he told me that he borrowed a bike from a guy, a friend. And I thought, well, I'll just, and he told me his friend's name. And so I shared that with the police and they say, yeah, we know him. I said, okay, I'll, I'm not writing any statement. I'll just let you know I'm walking away from it. I don't think anything happened. But the reality is it's an interesting way to get your stuff back, isn't it? I don't know how. No, I don't know if it was connected to my prayer, but I do know this. If, I'd had a, if I hadn't prayed the prayer, maybe when I met him, it wouldn't have been that nice a conversation. Here's the third thing Jesus says about you know, going from maybe victimhood to victor. The same thing is you treat others as you wish them to be treated. Do you know what Joseph done for his evil brothers? He actually welcomed them into Egypt because the whole land was in famine. There was just nothing. People were dying of starvation. He welcomed all his brother and their family and his dad into, the, into Egypt and he gave them the best of the land. How's that? What's Joseph doing? He's doing for them what he would ask someone to do for him. If you think about what you want done for you, uh, that's what we should do for others. Jesus said as much in Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want men to do for you, do also to them, for this is what the law and the prophets speak of. Do for them what you want them, uh, what you would expect people to do for you. Do it first. Don't react to what people are doing. You, you decide how you want to be treated in every circumstances. Make a conscious pre, uh, a decision about how you're going to handle because w- victimization happens very quickly. Would you agree? And you haven't got time to think about it. So why not preset your heart to say, this is how I'm going to react. This is how I'm going to respond. I'm not going to lower myself to the way that people treat me. I'm going to actually lift my standard and how I treat them. And... Um, And don't let people dictate to you how you react uh, because that becomes then the victim. We're not just victimized, we become the victim then. The standard of my relationship is not determined by what you do or don't do to me, but um, but my standard is out of the conviction. You know, I've had to work on that and I'm continually working on it and I pray that we can. Um, I want to be victorious. I want to, more than anything, just live in victorious. I want to live how Jesus wants me to live. And, and you know, I don't want to go down a self-destructive path uh, that just wants to destroy my life. I want to go down a path that brings wholeness and health. And I know it's, even though I'm victimized, that I don't need to go and allow myself to become that victim. Um, 1989, I went to work as I did to any other day on the job. I was working at the power station in those days, and I'd already worked eight years at the power station. I was about 26 years of age, and um, had a great job, enjoyed it. Power station were run by the Queensland Electricity Commission, government organisation, was brilliant. And by midday that day, my day was forever changed. Actually, in fact, my life was forever changed that day, in just a literal conversation. 
And what happened was, along with 70 other nine, 79 other people, I was made redundant and lost my job. Didn't have any idea of that before that day. None of us did. But I saw that uh, growing men cry that day as they walked out of that engineering office. Um, I went home and I certainly was sad, <laughs> I tell you. I was in shock. I was grieving. Went to work, had a job, came home. And all those questions come. How am I going to... I was no, you're not long married. It was two years into a marriage. I thought, what's going to happen? Got a house loan I'm kind of paying off. Nearly have paid it off, but gee, you know, all these questions bombard you. And once I got over the question of why me, um, Michelle and I prayed. It's always a good thing, and we committed it to God. And while I found myself initially feeling mistreated, especially for the loyalty that I'd given to the company, I didn't let it get into my heart, and I say it with all humility to you today, I didn't let it get in my heart, and I discovered a peace that God had it covered. And I discovered that verse, that in this world you will have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So I've decided I'm going to um, dive into Jesus, and you know what? He covers me, and uh, peace can prevail. And uh, it was an amazing, peaceful time that I came through that um, and how God undertook for both of us in that circumstance. It was just brilliant. But I'm just glad that I, I believe I kept my heart from becoming a victim. In 1991, um, some three years, two years later, we also faced a, a life-changing situation where Michelle was pregnant for four months, been uh, four months pregnant, and we were told by a gynecologist that our child, and a lot of you know this story, but I'm not going to go into detail, our, our child was not only intellectually handicapped, but um, uh, physically handicapped, and not, there was a percentage, sorry, and it was a very, very high chance that this was with a child in our womb, and that uh, we were told that we could abort this child. We didn't abort this child, and uh, we felt... Probably victimized. Why us was the question that was probably in our hearts. But we eventually we prayed and a wonderful peace entered our lives. And the grace of all I can say is it's the grace and mercy of God that brings us through sometimes. So I am not a great one to necessarily not become a victim. It's just that I've discovered there is a wonderful thing you can do, and that is run into God because he gives you a grace and a mercy to cope with what you cope with. I don't think I've done it all perfectly, folks, but I know that there's a God that we can run into, and his peace is all-encompassing, his grace and his mercy. And you know what? In the midst of it, in the midst of those wonderful things, we become a better person. And you know, I want to say to you today, like I probably did last Sunday, where do you stand with Jesus? Can you run into him? Because it's it will determine whether you just, you know, we're all victimized, but do we become the victor or the victim of life? God wants you to become the victor. And sometimes the question can be why do bad things happen to good people? Can we have the musos? A better question is why not good people happen to bad things? Come on, why not good people happen to bad things? Because it's not possible to live a life free of victimization. It's not possible. You'll drive out of the driveway here and maybe someone will cut you off. Maybe someone will bump into your car. You've had several of you have had that. Maybe, you know, you'll go home and something's happened. That's just, you know, you get a phone call and it's just not nice phone call. Someone's sick. Something's happened. Maybe you get a phone call and some of you might have had this, you know, and, someone, and your boss says, your job's finished. Some of you had that. 
maybe sometimes you just have family that you just, and there's a, there's this, there's a disruption in that family situation. And you think, I didn't see that coming. I don't know what it is, but I want to just say God's heart is for us and not against us this morning. And he said, if you yield your heart to me, that's why we sing the songs we sing, because there's an opportunity. That last song, it says, you know, surrender it to him. As we do, he can undertake in our lives and make us victorious and not victims. So much he loves us. So much his word shares with us truth. So this morning we're going to stand and we're going to just, for a moment, I want, to, I want to just pray. And I want you, if you want to be included in this prayer, I'd love you just to stand with me this morning, all of us today. That'd be great. And um, if anything, I just want us to be aware, to be aware of our God that just so much wants freedom in our lives. And I stand before you today saying, I'm far from perfect in what God and how I've dealt with all of this. Far from perfect. But we have a God that we can run into and He has been my, my strength and my strong tower. And He has given the peace. And He is the one that provides such an ability to say no to revenge. I'm not going to seek revenge. And no to the attitudes of of. Uh, Wanting to just uh, hate that person. No. And yes, to praying for them and how to help them. So this morning, if you would just for a moment be honest before your Heavenly Father, I just ask you to raise your hand. If you just want to be included in a prayer today, and, and, and it's just a simple prayer of saying, Father, we need you. Would you be honest? Because we could just close our, all close our eyes. And just if today you want to be included in this prayer, I just love you to raise your hand and say, yes. Yeah, because I just want to pray for you and pray with you where you stand today that says, God, I just want release and peace and I just want to yield. You know what? It takes a getting over some of our pride sometimes and the ego that we have and just saying, Father, I need your help. I need your help. I just want you to lift your hands to him today and say, God, yeah, yeah, I yield to you today. I yield. Just give it a moment. Just give it a moment of thought. Come on. Just give it a moment. Lift your hand to him today. If you want to be included in this prayer. Okay, hands all over the place. That's good. Father, today, right now, right now, we ask Holy Spirit in this solemn moment that you would just comfort our hearts, number one, that you'd encourage our hearts, and that, Father, that you'd help us in what we face with the circumstances that have surrounded us. Maybe there've been times when it hasn't been our doing, but things have happened. And we realize today that it's gone from just being victimized to maybe just feeling that sense of, I'm a bit of I feel like a victim. And today we'd ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring just peace, comfort and encouragement to every heart so that they can lift their eyes and see you more than they can see the problem. That, Father, we wouldn't go through life looking in the rear vision mirror, which is so small, looking backwards all the time, but we'd look out through the front windscreen and see life and all its fullness that you want for us. Father, that you'd help us as people to not allow the things that come at us, which will come, uh, but, Lord, we'd know that to take heart that you have overcome the world and we can find ourselves in you. And, Father, we thank you today 
for your goodness and your presence and your mercy. And we ask Holy Spirit, come into our lives more and more and help us to respond how Jesus you outlined in your truth, in your Bible, in the Word of God. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name and we commit ourselves to you right now and we give you all the honour and all the praise. Amen. We're going to sing this song. Come on, let's just take a moment. Changes everything. Holy Spirit, give you residence over all. Amen. Have a great morning, folks.